While Americans are trying to work out the difficult problem of what boys and girls are, while American liberals are trying to imprison the opposition leader on a trumped-up seven-year-old charge, our enemies abroad are threatening to nuke the world. Dmitry Medvedev, the deputy chairman of the Russian Security Council, has just responded to the International Criminal Court's arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin by threatening to nuke any country that attempts to carry it out. He said, quote, Let's imagine that it happened. The incumbent head of a nuclear country arrives in, say, Germany and is arrested. What does it mean? A declaration of war against Russia. In such a case, all our weapons will target the Bundestag, the German chancellor's office, and so on. Bye, we'll drink your blood. And of course, this is the case. Of course, they would threaten to do this. To arrest the leader of a nuclear former superpower would be to declare World War III especially after the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights has declared that both Russia and Ukraine have engaged in war crimes in the ongoing war that threatens to destabilize the entire world. Foreign policy does not usually decide presidential elections. Americans care more about what's going on at home. But we are living through a steady escalation of the first major war in Europe since World War II, a war and escalation that has been entirely predictable, and in fact was predicted before each and every bungling step made by the incompetent Biden administration. The Democrats are all in on the war. The Republicans are split, with Trump calling to wind down the war through a negotiated peace, and the rest of the Republican field divided on the question. Most Republicans just don't want to talk about it. But while the conflict is complex, the options before us are not. We can wind down the war, salvage most of Ukraine, and return the breadbasket of Europe to the buffer state it has traditionally been, or we can continue to roll the dice toward a conflict that threatens to end 80 years of relative global peace. Most people think things can't really get that bad that quickly. Perhaps they have not paid attention to the thorough destruction of our economy, rule of law, and potentially even banking system that's taken place over the last two years. Perhaps people didn't pay attention to the only good advice Barack Obama ever gave us, which is never to underestimate the degree to which Joe Biden can screw things up. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. You know, Barack Obama's wording was a little harsher than mine. I cleaned that up because this is a family show. And as a family show, we will be celebrating all the important cultural moments, such as Women's History Month. Uh, ESPN celebrated Women's History Month this month with a long tribute to, of course, William Leah Thomas. We'll get to that in just a bit. First, though, are we all going to get nuked? Is the world over? Why are we still in Ukraine? What is the purpose of this war? What is the goal here? No one seems to be really sure about exactly what we're doing if Ukraine matters, if Ukraine doesn't really matter. Here's one piece of evidence that we should not have anything to do with Ukraine. General Milley, the woke general who's really concerned about white rage and he's, he's uh, basically a purple-haired lesbian at, at this point. And not in, in, in his demeanor, he seems like a gruff military guy, but in the way he speaks, he seems like a college sophomore transgender studies major, the way he talks about critical theory and white rage and all these woke questions. General Milley says, 
Ukraine is an important national interest, which is the strongest evidence yet that it is not. Milley said, it's very clear the strategic end state is the global rules-based international order that was put in place in 1945 and making sure that's upheld. He said, this is an important national interest. Now, there are some on the right who are isolationists who say we shouldn't have anything to do with the rest of the world. There are others on the right who say America is the global hegemon and we are the world police and, and we have not only a right but a responsibility to govern the entire world as the global empire. Even if you don't want us to do it, you're, gonna, you're not going to like it when someone else is governing the world. Uh, there, there's merit to both points. I, I don't actually think it's quite so simple as either of those things. But the, the sad fact in practice is that the people who are running that global empire are completely incompetent. They're compl- they just are doing a terrible job of it. Every aspect of this Ukraine war was predictable. And it's been predicted since the fall of the Soviet Union, since the 1990s. And when we've followed the advice of the people who were warning about it, things have been okay. And when we disregarded the advice of people like George Kennan, Henry Kissinger, Sam Nunn, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who said NATO should not get too aggressive. NATO should stop expanding eastward. We shouldn't necessarily provoke regime change in Ukraine to, to, to oust pro-Russian leaders. We should play this a little more carefully and a little less flamboyant than we have been. Every time we've ignored that advice, the conflict has escalated. So you might be the biggest war hawk in the world, and you might say, okay, we've got to show American strength at every point, but do you really trust these guys? To, do you trust Joe Biden? you trust Mark Milley to do that? I don't. I don't. I don't think they have an idea of what they're doing, and I think we're just stumbling into World War III as Russia is saber-rattling about nuclear weapons, saying, oh, that could never happen. That could. Did you ever think that he and she would be controversial? Did you ever think that women's bathrooms would be an object of controversy? I bet even five years ago, you would have said that can never happen. And it happens. Things happen gradually, then suddenly, as <laughs> Andrew Clavin likes to quote Ernest Hemingway. And if you, it's the only good advice Barack Obama ever gave. If you really think, oh, bro, oh Joe Biden can't screw things up that much. I have got bad news for you. Speaking of irrational behavior, Senator John Fetterman, who is the Democrat senator from Pennsylvania. He remains hospitalized. John Fetterman has been in the hospital now since February 16th. It's almost April. And he checked himself into the hospital because he apparently is suffering from depression. This though, as a result of a major stroke on the campaign trail and then potentially some other strokes or stroke-like symptoms. So he's been in there for uh, six weeks and the doctors say he might remain hospitalized for another two weeks. They keep saying another two weeks, another two weeks. And they're saying he's going to remain hospitalized for another two weeks to get his medication exactly right. Obviously wish uh, Senator Fetterman very well. He doesn't belong in the Senate. He should be home recovering. It's horrible what the Democrats and what his family have done to him. And they should allow the man to step down and take care of his health in peace, uh, but they're not going to do that. So they're going to try to tweak all of these powerful psych drugs to get him to just the right spot where he can sit in the Senate and give a reliable vote to Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden, which got me thinking not about John Fetterman, not about whatever he's going through at Walter Reed Hospital right now. It got me thinking of the craziness in our country. People are not rational. They're less rational than usual in our country right now. And everyone's trying to explain why. Is it because of critical theory? Is it because of communism? Is it because of all the weird sex stuff? Is it because of immigrants? Is it because of, I think I've honed in on an explanation that, that very few people have brought up, which we'll get to in one second. First though, when you want some stability in your portfolio, 
you got to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. The Fed has a tendency to print money during times of economic distress, like they did during the COVID-19 lockdowns. This has resulted in the loss of the value of a dollar and an increase in the value of precious metals like gold. Gold will always have inherent value because it's a tangible and finite resource, uncontrolled by any single government or financial institution. Gold cannot simply be printed on a whim, such as paper currency. As the value of our dollar continues to decline, it becomes increasingly important to hedge against inflation by diversifying at least some of your assets into precious metals. The only company that I trust to help you diversify into precious metals is Birch Gold. Birch Gold also makes it easy to convert your IRA or 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, Birch Gold is the company that I trust to protect my future, and so should you. Text Knowles, Canada View, L-E-S, to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold today and talk to their precious metals expert. That is Knowles. Text it to 989898. Everybody's looking for the explanation of why people are so much crazier today than they have been in the past. Has it ever occurred to anyone that maybe the reason people are so crazy today is because everyone is hopped up on drugs all the time? Not just the the regular drugs, not just the fact that people now wake and bake and are smoking the devil's lettuce a lot of the time and people are, are popping all sorts of drugs, but I mean specifically these psychiatric drugs that huge swaths of the country is on. Nearly one in five adult women in the United States is on anti-depression drugs. Even among teenage girls, it's, it, it's over one in 10 are on these anti-depression drugs. And a lot of men are on it too. And there are other, a lot of other psych drugs that people are on. There's a fair shot if you're listening to the, this show right now that you're on some of these drugs. And the mass prescription of these drugs seems to be pretty troubling because one of the purposes of these drugs is to short circuit your ability to engage in logical thinking. That's the point of it, right? If you are depressed and you're, for a long time we were told that people are depressed because of a chemical imbalance in the brain, that theory, that model, that representation of what depression is seems to have been completely debunked in recent years. So now they're going to come up with some new image and, and some new explanation for it. But the one explanation that people are never allowed to to consider is that people are depressed because it's logical to be depressed given the premises that people begin with. If people begin with the premise that God doesn't exist, there's no hope for anybody, we're all going to pretty soon take a dirt nap and turn to worm food, all that matters in life is getting pleasure, and so when you're not deriving pleasure, that's really sad, along with other, uh, other premises, that we don't have a right to a family, we don't have a right to a community, that we don't have a right to normal social relations. So we see that the collapse of all of the bedrock political institutions in the United States, all of the things that give people joy traditionally, and, and no wonder, you're going to be shocked to hear this, people are depressed. So then you go to the psychiatrist and you say, hey doc, my family's falling apart, my country's falling apart, I lost my job, it was shipped overseas, I, I don't, my church doesn't even exist anymore, <laughs> I don't, no one's showing up and everything's falling apart and I'm kind of depressed. What does the doctor say? He says, oh good, I got some drugs for you. Almost never treats the actual problem. They say, no, it's okay, I got some drugs that are going to dull your your feelings and are going to short circuit that logic that has logically led you to become depressed. Did anyone ever think maybe that's why people are a little bit crazier these days? I can't, I can't help it. Well, I'll probably get in trouble for even suggesting that. 
But it seems to me like if you're going to ply a fifth of the country with very, very powerful psych drugs, you shouldn't be surprised when people start acting a little quirky. Speaking of women who disproportionately take these drugs, politics, reportedly, is getting very, uh, very heated in dating life. So increasingly, political difference is a deal breaker, especially for women. This is a report out in The Hill, other people reporting on this study. 86% think that it has grown more difficult to date someone who supports the opposing political party in recent years. This according to a 2020 YouGov Economist poll. More than half of men said they would date someone with different views, whereas only 35% of women said that they would date someone with opposing views. 48% of Republicans said they would date someone with opposing views because we're rather tolerant. 49% of independents said the same thing. Only 40% of Democrats said they would date a Republican. Everyone's focusing on this as it pertains to politics. So you're saying, see, the Democrats aren't tolerant, the Republicans are tolerant. See, our politics is getting so polarized, and we just can't talk to each other, and nobody's in the middle anymore, no one respects differences. And sure, that might have something to do with it, but I actually don't think that politics is the big issue in this story. I think dating is the big issue. Specifically, I think marriage is the big issue. The way to explain those numbers is not that politics has gotten crazy or politics is always crazy. The way to explain those numbers is to point to how late people are getting married. As as people put off marriage, as people don't get married at all, or they put off marriage later and later and later, what you're seeing is that people are becoming more solidified in their views. And as people become more solidified in their views, as people become more independent, as people become formed on their own, it becomes a lot harder to build a life with someone else. People are either going to grow together or they're going to grow apart. So when people were marrying their high school sweethearts and getting married at 21 or 22, you're you're barely formed at that point. And so you're going to form together. But if you're getting married at 32 or 42 or 52, you you are an established person. And so it's unlikely that in your 40s, you're going to meet somebody and have that person completely change your view of the world. And so these people are saying, well, now I'm not willing to date someone with opposing political views. Right, because when you're 16, your political views can change. Your views on pretty much everything can change. But when you're older, that's much harder. So it's an argument not not for the Democrats even to get more tolerant or to reach across the aisle. It's an argument to get, get moving in the dating pool much younger, guys, and start settling down much younger. It's not the end of your life. It's really the beginning of your life. And it's the beginning of this new thing, which happens to be the fundamental political institution. Speaking of politics, huge political news. Very few people are reporting on this, but it tells you a lot about the 2024 presidential primary race. A friend of mine has just signed on to a pro-DeSantis super PAC. That would be Jeff Rowe. Uh, Jeff Rowe is a very prominent political consultant, and he was the chief strategist for Ted Cruz. He has been the chief strategist for Ted Cruz. He's been the chief strategist to Glenn Youngkin. And he's worked on a zillion campaigns. He's a total political legend. And now he's signing on to a a super PAC that it's called Never Back Down. So it's not the DeSantis campaign, but it's a PAC that exists to serve the DeSantis campaign. And the PAC was launched by Ken Cuccinelli. Ken Cuccinelli is another legendary Republican figure. Uh, Ken Cuccinelli served as the acting deputy secretary of Homeland Security and acting director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services under Trump. What does this all mean? This means 
that the race is consolidating around Trump and DeSantis, which a lot of people felt was happening. A lot of people could intuit that that's what was going on. But we're not just talking about voters or public opinion polls. We're talking about the power players in the GOP are consolidating. They're, they're not dividing up. It's not that some of them are going to work for Nikki Haley, some are going to work for Tim Scott, some are going to Mike Pence, some are going here, some are going there. No. It's pretty much everybody is picking either Trump or DeSantis. Aaron Perrine, who was the press communications director for Trump's 2020 campaign, she just joined this pack too. So she flipped from Trump to DeSantis. She's now working for it never back down. This is bad news for the non-Trump and DeSantis candidates. The only non-Trump and DeSantis candidate who I think this isn't necessarily bad news for is Vivek Ramaswamy, because Vivek is such a weird candidate. He's so out of left field. He's never been a governor or senator or anything like that. He can be a self-funder. He's made a lot of money in business. So I, I think his lane in the race remains the weird, quirky kind of outsider. The bad version of that is the Andrew Yang lane. The good version of that is the Donald Trump lane. And Vivek is very sharp and he's, he's offering something different than, than the other candidates are. But what, what you are seeing here, I think, is a lot of anti-Trump Republicans and even some formerly pro-Trump Republicans who just don't think he's the guy this year. They want to avoid what happened in 2016. In 2016, there were a thousand candidates in the race and everybody was divided up among them. And Trump pursued a divide and conquer strategy. So Trump could consistently just get a plurality. He didn't need to get a majority. And had, frankly, had Marco Rubio and John Kasich pulled out of the race sooner, even if just Marco Rubio had pulled out of the race sooner, Ted Cruz very likely would have been the Republican nominee. But because it remained so divided up, Trump became the nominee. So you're seeing the establishment GOP and just the people who don't want Trump this year. They're learning. Okay, it's the establishment, it's the conservatives who, for whatever reason, never liked Trump or just don't like him anymore. They're learning. They're saying, we're not going to make the same mistake again. So the question is going to be for these other candidates. Are they going to stay in the race for a long time? Or is this going to be a relatively quick campaign? You make a deal with either Trump or DeSantis. You say, okay, I'll drop out and endorse you and you got to give me secretary of labor or something like that. It seems to be happening very quickly though, even two years out of the race. Uh, this, as Trump's polling, is getting a big boost. So we're all waiting on Trump to get arrested and be thrown into an orange, orange jumpsuit. Didn't happen last week. It didn't happen last week. Didn't happen the week before that. Maybe the DA, Alvin Bragg, is getting cold feet here. Maybe they're just looking at the polls. The polling right now is, is showing that the potential indictment is helping Trump. According to a Trafalgar Group uh, Convention of States poll, 74.3% of Americans think a Trump indictment would help or not affect his campaign. Only 25.7% think it would hurt. So three quarters of Americans think an indictment is neutral or good for Trump. Only 42.7% of Democrats even think that this would hurt Trump. Only 11% roughly of the GOP thinks it would hurt Trump. 27% of independents. My money is still on Trump to win the nomination. Even with all of these other interests consolidating around DeSantis right now, and DeSantis is very, very talented and very skilled, and I'm not knocking him at all, and he's a very good governor. But right now, even with all of that, I think Trump just has such a lead. He has such momentum. Doesn't mean that 
DeSantis can't become the nominee or someone else even can't become the nominee. But right now, my money would still be on Trump. They've got nothing. The libs have nothing on Trump. They've tried everything. That's why they're trying to indict him on a seven-year-old trumped-up charge. Because they have nothing new. The, you, know what the, you know what they've got? Here's what they've got. Don Lemon just showed what the Democrats still have against Trump. Well, he raised a whole lot of money by saying, oh, I'm going to be, you know, insinuating that he was going to be indicted on Tuesday, right? Raise money off of that. But th- this is really disturbing to me because he's been doing this for a while. Yeah. And I think we can't talk enough about it where he's been calling uh, these prosecutors who happen to be African-American <laughs> saying that they're racist. He called Alvin Bragg uh, a Soros-backed animal. Yeah. He's turning to his old tricks here of, you know, um, being racist or racist adjacent yeah. using that type of language for people. Yeah. Uh, point of question here. What is racist adjacent? Don Lemon reverts to the oldest Democrat trick in the book. You say, you're racist. I got nothing. We tried Stormy Daniels. It didn't work. Russiagate didn't work. Ukraine gate didn't work. We tried, I don't know, some money thing that didn't work. Uh, you're racist. Yeah, that'll get Trump. We got him this time. The walls are closing in. Oh, baby. Yeah, it's Mueller time. Because we're, you're racist. Okay, whatever. No, you're, and, and even Don Lemon knows that you can't make the argument that Trump is racist, if that word means anything anymore at all. You can't make that argument. And so he says, or racist adjacent. What's racist adjacent? Like you live on a street, and David Duke moved in on the, on the perpendicular street. Uh, we're racist adjacent. We're not racist, but we're racist adjacent. <laughs> Give me a break. Doesn't work. I mean, this is just the argument against any white person that you don't like. And w- white people generally are the least racist people on earth. I mean that in a very technical way. There have been studies of racial consciousness. White people have the lowest racial consciousness by a country mile. Every other race of people has a much higher racial consciousness, a much higher in-group preference. White people just are not racist. You can say whatever you want about white people. You can say they have bad taste in music, their food isn't spicy enough, but you can't say they're racist. White people are the least racist people in the world. And and in the United States, the white people are pretty much the only victims of formal de jure systemic racism. Asians get lumped in a little bit too, but white people, and Asians to some degree, are the only group where you can say, okay, you're white, but we're going to discriminate against you for the purposes of college admissions, for the purposes of hiring, for the purposes of whatever, on the basis of your race. So the racism charge generally falls flat. The racism charge against Trump definitely falls flat, and they don't have any other charge. So what are they going to do? What are they going to say? Are they even going to indict him anymore? The, the media, the liberal media, are turning on the indictment itself, okay, because they've got nothing. We want to deprive them of everything that they that they want. We especially want to deprive the liberal establishment of our data, which is why we have to check out ExpressVPN. Right now, go to expressvpn.com slash Companies are not just selling products anymore. They're selling you. Tech companies enrich themselves by selling your personal data. They grab your web history, email, metadata, and video searches to create a detailed profile of you and then sell that off to the highest bidder. When you go online without a VPN, internet service providers can see every single website you visit. They can legally sell this information without your consent to ad companies and tech giants who then use it to target you with their advertisements. That is why I would recommend using ExpressVPN. 
every time you go online. ExpressVPN anonymizes your online activity by camouflaging your IP address and replacing it with a different secure IP. ExpressVPN also encrypts all of your data to protect you from hackers and anyone else that might be trying to spy on you. ExpressVPN is super easy to use. Download the app on your phone or computer, tap one button, and you are protected. So simple, even I can do it, and I'm a total Luddite. Protect your data with the number one rated VPN provider today, expressvpn.com slash Knowles, to get three months free in a one-year package, expressvpn.com slash Knowles, expressvpn.com slash Knowles, to learn more. My favorite comment from Friday is from Flat Walsh who says Knowles should come out with a new blank book, Reasons to Believe in Aliens, a Comprehensive Guide. I think we need a formal debate at the Daily Wire. I think we need a formal, two podiums, a moderator, Robert's Rules, parliamentary style debate. Resolved, aliens are, are fake. Resolved, only libs believe in aliens. Speaking of crazy things the libs believe in, we all know the libs believe in uh, men being women. And uh, it recently was Women's History Month. I guess it's still Women's History Month. And to celebrate Women's History Month, ESPN decided to run a whole laudatory segment on the most important woman in sports. That would be, of course, William Leah Thomas. Swimmer Leah Thomas became the first transgender athlete to win an NCAA Division I championship by winning the 500 freestyle. The Texas native competed for three seasons on the men's swim team at the University of Pennsylvania. She began her transition after her sophomore season and after a gap year due to the pandemic that forced the Ivy League to cancel all sports. Thomas made her debut as a member of the women's team in December 2021. Being trans is, is not a choice. I didn't have any other choice because not transitioning was not leading me anywhere. She competed amidst criticism from the swimming community, competitors, and teammates. She said she hopes her persistence serves a larger purpose. People will say, oh, she just transitioned, so she would have an advantage, so she could win. I transitioned to be happy. You know, I never said that Will Thomas only transitioned so that he could win swimming races. He was a very low-ranked male swimmer, and then he became the number one-ranked female, quote-unquote, swimmer. So maybe that played a role in it, probably did play some role in it. No, I think he transitioned more for the reason that he says there, you know, he said, to be happy. Now, it won't make him happy. I think social science is mostly bunk, but the surveys that we have on this show that the transition does not actually make people any happier than they were beforehand. And it, it is not the right thing to do because men can't become women and women can't become men and your body and soul are united in a hylomorphic union. And everybody on earth knew this until five minutes ago and living according to delusion and chopping up your body and doing all sorts of weird, nasty things is not going to make anybody happy really in the long run ever. It certainly won't lead to human flourishing. Uh, But I I have no doubt that he did it in part because he's just confused. He's a confused guy. He said, I had no choice. Of course you had a choice. (laughs) You didn't need to. You could just be normal. You could just act normal and be normal. And you might have some weird fantasies in your head, but you can either suppress them or sublimate those fantasies or indulge them in the privacy of your own home, but not 
pretend for public purposes that you're a woman and then go into the, the women's locker room and take your clothing off and start, start uh, exposing yourself to girls who don't want to see that. You had that choice. You just chose not to, you, you chose to deny your own agency and your own free will in the matter. But forget about Will Thomas for a second. I had forgotten about Women's History Month because I don't pay attention to any of the uh, liturgical months on the, the liturgical calendar of liberalism. I don't pay attention to Black History Month. I don't pay attention to Women's History Month. I don't pay attention to the now multiple gay months. I, I have my own liturgical calendar that I follow, which is the uh, calendar of the church. So we have months to, like, you know, to marry and, um, you know, different uh, liturgical feasts that, that do not celebrate liberalism. But this, this proves my point. I think this is a total vindication of why we need to ignore all these liberal months. Black History Month, Women's History Month. Because... Women's History Month, we can now conclude with certainty, is not about women. It's not. All the the women, quote unquote, who have been lauded during Women's History Month by the White House, by ESPN, by the culture, they're all men. So it has nothing to do with women. It has everything to do with liberalism and leftism. Black History Month is only tangentially related to black people. True, ESPN doesn't run fawning profiles of Rachel Dolezal. They haven't, they haven't yet embraced transracialism. But likewise, you're not going to see any fawning profiles of Clarence Thomas. You're not going to see any fawning profiles of Thomas Sowell. You're not going to see any fawning profiles of Booker T. Washington, for that matter. You're not going to see any fawning profiles of Candace Owens, I don't think. No, you're only going to see a certain kind of black person. And, and very often a manufactured leftist caricature of a certain type of black person. Because it's not about black people, it's about liberalism and leftism. So we should ignore all of that. Ignore all of those things. How about for, for the gay months? You're never going to see profiles of, of men who, let's say they have some disordered desire, and they just don't act on it. Will Thomas says, I had no choice but to chop my body parts off and pretend to be a woman. You you could have not done that. You could have just been normal. You could have, by that I mean, you could have acted in accord with the norms and standards set by society through their use of right reason and their deference to the wisdom of the ages, which is a far better guide to human flourishing than what some quack doctors in the 60s decided was was best for, for confused men, which is to mutilate themselves and live according to a fantasy. Could have just been normal. Of course, of course you have that. But you never see, you, you never see uh, LGBT History Month celebrating detransitioners. Helena Kirshner is not going to be, is not going to be, Walt Heyer is not going to be celebrated in any of the multiple LGBT History Months. So it's kind of funny. It's, it's, dark, but it's kind of funny that Will Thomas is the, the woman of the month, the woman of the year for Women's History Month on ESPN. And sometimes it's a lot less funny. There's a video that went viral. I had our editors blur basically the whole thing, but you can get a little sense of it anyway. A 13-year-old drag queen, a little boy who was dressed up in sexual clothing to look like a girl, like a very sexualized girl, uh, was just videotaped and went viral, dancing around at a club while a bunch of pervert adults cheered him on. Now, 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 
you can sort of vaguely make out he's wearing these leather stiletto heels and a leather kind of dress skirt thing and is dancing around in a very sexualized posture. And then these total freak perverts on the side are cheering him on. They're, what are they cheering on? They're cheering on a sexual performance of a 13-year-old boy dressed in a tight leather outfit. This isn't, well, you know, the slippery slope might be slipping down. This isn't some conspiracy theory idea. There are, there are elite pedos in our culture and they have a lot of power and, you know, you've got to talk to the Illuminati and the Rosicrucians and I don't know, some tinfoil hat stuff. It's on video. You're watching it. Even... The idea of an elite pedo ring that's so elite that they have, I don't know, let's say their own private island in the Caribbean, and some of the most notable, wealthy, powerful people on earth go to this island to do weird stuff with very young, underage people. That's not a crazy conspiracy theory. We have the court documents. We have pictures in some cases. That's real. That's happening. It reminds me of a line from Orrin McIntyre who's been on this show before, a great political commentator. And he says, guys, it's not that complicated. They just want to diddle kids. I think it's a little more complicated than that. I do think there is an ideological aspect of this whole weird sexual movement that we're seeing. I do think that ultimately it, it stems from the political project of liberation, of liberalism, that liberalism begins with the idea of liberating yourself from dusty old conventions, liberating yourself from superstition, non-scientific beliefs, which we are told today are allegedly superstitious, uh, liberating yourself from the old political order, the ancien regime. Now we're going to live in a revolutionary political order, liberating yourself from the moral order, liberating yourself from the family, the fundamental political institution. Ultimately, liberating yourself from yourself. That's what the transgender transition is about. The transgender transition is a ritual suicide. It's not a literal suicide, but it's a ritual figurative suicide through which a person kills himself. He then refers to the person that he has been literally as a dead name says that person is dead, talks about that person in the third person and in the past tense. And then out of that dead person, a new identity is allegedly born through this ritual of suicide, because that is the ultimate liberation of the self from the self. The, the only absurd, illogical conclusion of that, but, but it is the inexorable conclusion from the, the premises of liberalism, is, is suicide. That's, that's the, the way out. And it's all terribly wrong, and it's led to a cultural suicide and a national suicide, and that's where the logic leads you to. So I do think that's all there. But also, all of that is prefaced to say, some of these people just want to diddle kids. That's it. Those, the, the guys there cheering, lusting after a 13-year-old boy in a, in a leather outfit and stilettos jiggling around, they're just perverts, and they, they're desires need to be suppressed by society. I know that we live in the age of love is love and no, no desire is ever to be considered disordered or wrong or to be repressed. Uh, they need to be suppressed. Yeah. There need to be laws against this. There need to be norms against this. We need to round up the men who 
go to shows like this and we need to lock them away in institutions or prisons. And we need to tell other people that if they have any desires that are in, in, in any way even close to resembling this sort of thing, they need to t- tamp that down. Stop, stop doing it in public. Stop doing it in private. Just cut it out. Sometimes things can be really simple like that. There's a story that I had to get to before we go. Before we get to the member block, today is Music Monday. So for the creme de la creme inner circle audience at the Nostradamus Membrum Segmentum, we will be getting to a very important song that Mr. Davies has for me. But before that, you know that I'm really tough on on immigration. There are very few people who are tougher on immigration than I am. I think, obviously, we've got to stop illegal immigration build the border wall, enforce the border policies. I think we should drastically reduce legal immigration as well. Most Americans, according to at least some surveys, want to drastically reduce legal immigration. We just are taking too many people in. Two million illegals per year are crossing into the U.S. and then a million legal immigrants as well. We've been keeping this up for 60 years now. It's the largest movement of people ever in recorded history. It's just too much. If you're not assimilating people, can't do it. So I'm really tough on that. However, I'd like to make an exception because of this headline. Two Cuban migrants fly into Florida on a motorized hang glider. Two migrants used a motorized hang glider to fly 90 miles from the communist island of Cuba to Key West, and they landed safely at Key West International Airport at about 10.30 a.m. I think those guys should stay. I... I want to hire those guys. I don't even know. I don't know what they would do around here. They can, they can start Jeremy's, Jeremy's airplanes, <laughs> Jeremy's hang gliders. I love the Cuban people, one, because they make great cigars, two, because they're relatively quite conservative. And when they come to America, they disproportionately vote for Republicans. I like that. That inclines me to letting more of the Cubans stay. It's, it's why, by the way, Barack Obama, as he opened up the border to everybody and, and gave uh, unconstitutional executive amnesty to illegal aliens, specifically from Latin America, the one group that he restricted immigration for by repealing the wet foot, dry foot policy, it was Cubans. And why? Because the Cubans tend to vote Republican. Just shows you nakedly that the Democrats' immigration policy is just about getting more votes. Has nothing to do with care for poor, oppressed people. Barack Obama, he was sucking up to communist Cuba. He doesn't like that the Cubans vote for Republicans. He says, okay, you're the ones, you can't do it. So I'm inclined to like the Cuban people. And I think, I just think, if you have the guts and the ingenuity to get a single person light hang glider that's supposed to go, you know, jumping from puddle to puddle, and then you you take that and you fly 90 miles across shark-infested waters to Florida— and then land safely at the airport. I want you. I mean, we can have a we can have an immigration moratorium other than two people. I want these two, these two Cubans. Bienvenidos, amigos. Welcome to Los Estados Unidos. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Michael, how did you get your hair so shiny and voluminous and spectacular? The quaff is just out of control. How do you do it, Michael? Well, the answer. Jeremy's. Jeremy's Razors shampoo and conditioner. That's right. Jeremy's Razors, it's more than just a razor company fighting to protect your values. It's also a men's grooming brand that doesn't hate men. And this magnificent quaff that you see here is fortified every morning thanks to Jeremy's tea tree and argon oil infused shampoo and conditioner. 
That's not all. Oh, no. Jeremy's also has an exfoliating charcoal body wash made with hydrating aloe vera, eucalyptus, and just the right amount of pomegranate. Not, you don't want too much pomegranate in your charcoal body wash. No way. The men's care products that you see here are made with natural ingredients. We are 100% sulfate-free, paraben-free, woke-free, made right here in the U.S. of A. Head on over to jeremysrazors.com to kick woke companies out of your bathroom today. Also, a new episode of Yes or No is available with my friend Matt Frad, host of Pints of Aquinas. It's out on YouTube. If you've ever wondered what it's like to trade places with me to become the host and wield the undeniable power of a drink and good opinions and those game cards on the most titillating topics of our time, you're in luck. You can do that when you pre-order Yes or No, the game from dailywire.com slash shop. It's a beautiful, mysterious game full of controversy and conspiracy. Sold out instantly last year. Don't wait to secure your copy. Supplies will not last. Prove how well you know your friends and family and discover how well they know you when you bring home Yes or No, the game. Available only at dailywire.com slash shop. Now, before we go, before we go here, uh, we all, we were talking about the transgender issue all the time, and Women's History Month now, I guess, uh, uh, I guess Women's History Month celebrates uh, men who think that they're women. There is a point that an Olympic athlete just made. Uh, her name is Sharon Davies, former British Olympic swimmer, uh, celebrated this decision by the World Athletics to ban trans-identifying athletes from women's events, publicly thanking the organization's uh, president, a Sebastian Coe. And here's what she said. She said, women are not a testosterone level. This was always a bogus argument and should never have been considered a waste of time and money. Male biology, uh, male biology advantage is uh, real. It cannot be fully mitigated against females of all ages in all sports are deserving of fair, safe sport as much as males get. No one's banned from sport, just, just a category they don't qualify for. I have heard a lot of conservatives say, look, what are we going to do with the transgender thing? Uh, let's just, we'll just test people's testosterone. If you've got too much testosterone, then you've got to compete with the men. And then if you don't have enough testosterone, you, you compete with the women. No. no. Guys, yes, some people have more testosterone than others. Not every man is just brimming with virility and testosterone like some of us here. Okay? Some people are at a disadvantage in that regard. But they can still be men. Men are not just testosterone. Women are not just estrogen. To accept the testosterone levels standard for sports is to accept transgenderism. Is to accept the idea that men and women are either entirely reducible to their bodies or not at all reducible to their bodies. Which is, which is what they say. The transgenderists hold both views. They'll say, hey, if I chop my family jewels off and I get prosthetic breasts and I put on a wig and I put on a dress, I am really a woman. If I have the appearances of a woman, then I really am a woman. Or they'll say, no, it doesn't matter. I could have a big beard. I could be big husky Hank walking into the women's locker room. But if I think that I'm a woman, then I'm a woman. But both of those views are not correct. Because human beings are not just body and we're not just not body. We're body and soul together. The body is our material self. The soul is the substantial form of our body. Sex derives from the body, from our natural body. 
And it applies to the whole person as an inseparable accident that persists as long as the individual exists. We just are. We just are a man or we are a woman. And, and you, if it, sports in many ways, even male sports, you're, you're judging how manly a man is. And the manlier men are going to beat the less manly men in a lot of sports. Well, the less manly men are still men. And a, a lot of the point of the sport is to figure out who's the best competitor. Women are not just estrogen. They're not a testosterone level. Women are a real category, a real natural category. And no amount of tinkering and scientific witchcraft and ideological jumping jacks and somersaults, none of that is going to change what a man is and what a woman is. You saw another example of this absurdity over the weekend. Some dude won a women's cycling event, I believe in New York. Photo was going around the internet. You see that down there on the number three spot, you see some woman holding her trophy in the air, whatever, I guess a bottle of champagne. Then on the number two spot, you see another woman smiling. She's got her bottle of champagne. And then on the number one spot is a big hulking dude, both arms in the air with a bottle of champagne. And if I were the husband of the number two woman, I would be really, really angry at the dude in the number one spot. Because you're looking at this picture and you, you look and you think, oh, that number two woman, yeah, she did a good job, but she just wasn't, yeah, she wasn't the best. But she actually was the best woman in the race. And she deserves to be in the number one spot. And I don't know if there was a prize associated with this. Very often, the, the arguments against men competing in women's sports is, is that, well, the men could take the women's scholarships. You know, there's a real financial harm that's done here to women when the men get to compete. Or the, the men could get into college. And there's a real, uh, you know, harm, educational harm to the women here because the, the guy could take the, the spot at the college. But even just the glory of the thing, even why, why do people engage in recreation and leisure and sports? And part of it is just for the glory, for excellence, to demonstrate excellence and, and so that, that other people can marvel at that excellence. And that woman was robbed of her rightful place by a very confused man, a very disturbed man that we are all indulging. And that's just, it's just wrong, even as a matter of celebration and sport and glory. Okay, it, is, it is a non sequitur that if a guy just uh, chops off a body part or takes some estrogen or something, that he becomes a woman. Speaking of non sequiturs, we love, on the right, we love when a liberal seems a little bit more conservative. And so everybody is fawning over Bill Maher. And I kind of like, but Bill Maher did a bit on his show the other day about me after my CPAC speech. And it was pretty funny. I, I get, generally get a kick out of Bill Maher. But Bill Maher, Bill Maher has this problem where he, he'll make a good point and then totally undercut his point. He just did that on the religion of climate change. All right, so um, we had yet another one of those reports this week from the UN uh, Intergalactic Panel on Climate, or <laughs> that's not the real name of it, but it's something like that. I feel like I, talk about Groundhog Day, I feel like I've written, written I've read this report every year. And it's always the same. The world is coming to an end, which I think it is, by the way. I, I, I think disaster is coming. But they always seem to predict very specifically when, and some of those dates have already passed. I think they should, first of all, stop doing that. You know, 
because it, it really bleeds their credibility. It's kind of like what the Western medical establishment found out about COVID. Don't lie about it. Because people, you will lose their credibility. Yeah, right. They don't have credibility anymore. The, the Western medical establishment burned their credibility during COVID. The sky is going to fall. Climate people have burned their credibility for 50 years now because all their doomsday predictions keep being proven false. And yet, Bill Maher says, and I think the world is ending. Yeah, I think they're right. You know, I think they're right ultimately, but they're just, they're tarnishing a lot of their credibility. So it's just, they need to stop. They need to be more cautious. Well, I thought Bill Maher was the logical guy. I mean, I never thought Bill Maher was the logical guy, but he presents himself as, I'm the rational guy. I'm the logical guy. I'm an atheist. I just follow the science. What's he say? He says, well, all the evidence says the world isn't ending. All the people claiming the world is ending have been, proving, been proven wrong time and time again. That All the people who claim the world is ending have been proven wrong even on other predictions they've made not related to their claims about the world ending. But I still believe the world is ending. This is cognitive dissonance of the highest caliber. But it's much easier for these liberals to convince themselves of something that they had previously just, they just immediately admitted was not true. They can convince themselves to continue to believe in it more easily than they can convince themselves to change their behavior and to cease to be liberals. They just can't, it's so devastating. I remember as I became more and more conservative than I previously had been, I remember thinking, man, it must be really, it is really hard to give up liberalism because liberalism defines our whole political order or at least has for a long time now. And to give that up and to say, wow, it's wrong. The predictions they make are wrong. The things they say about human nature are wrong. They now say men are women and women are men. It was wrong. The things they say about the human person, the things they say about society, and what it's, all, it's just wrong. They're just wrong. And they don't have credibility. So when people keep getting things wrong and they don't have credibility, you know what you got to do? You got to stop listening to them and start listening to people who make more sense. That's what we do over on the Nostradamus Membrum Segmentum, okay? We talk to people who make sense, the creme de la creme. If you're part of the hoi polloi here on YouTube, get on over to Daily Wire. Go to dailywire.com slash Use code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.